Today is Tuesday, April 10th, 2018, and this is episode 215 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry, for a rare Tuesday edition. I know, it's the second rare Tuesday edition in a row. I know, because we try for Sunday, and then we get busy, and then we try for Monday, and we get busy, and then here we are on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, Mondays are turning out to be pretty awful for recording so um <laughs> i think someone has often said mondays are awful in general that's true somebody may in fact post uh, funny dumpster fire pictures about monday and on twitter well somebody posts pictures funny is you know, to be determined uh-huh and i the beholder all right. So um, just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on this show are ours and do not represent those of our employers and uh, just uh, uh, initial shout out to our Patreon donors. Thank you very much for keeping the lights on. Indeed, you guys are awesome. Uh, it still amazes me, astounds me, and humbles me that you kind people donate money to our show. Thank you. And, and, and if others are interested, yeah. we are still open for donations and always appreciate them and love them now that Patreon stopped screwing up their donation system. That's right. All right. So getting into some stories. Oh, you know, before before we get into the normal stories for today. Today was a very special day in the InfoSec world. Yeah? Very, very special day. Yeah? Today was uh, Verizon Data Breach Report Day. Yeah, oh. TBIR Day. I had I known I would have stayed up all night like Christmas. It's, it's, it is the InfoSec version of Christmas. I don't think it, anyone has a, who's listened to the show for a while is surprised that we are big fans of this report. It's well-written, well-researched, and really does a wonderful job of boiling down what's really going on out there. So highly recommended to read it. Yeah, and it's you know it, it uh, unlike a lot of other reports, it's you know it it tries to be somewhat based on data. You know, to, and I think they're also pretty transparent about where their limitations are and you know some of the some of the gotchas to be aware of when you're you know when you're reading it. Unlike a lot of other reports, but uh, that that you know it's it's a great it's a great read. Um, there was. I have not had a lot of chance to to read it. There was only one thing that that's that stuck out to me as I was uh, reading it, just skim, kind of skimming it, and that is thirty you percent know, of insider breaches were the result of sysadmins. That was actually the highest category of uh, of insider type uh, that that was a cause of an inside you know, a breach resulting from an insider. That's weird to me. I I got to wonder if that's something to do with grabbing privileged credentials or somebody running as admin or something. I I have to read it deeper because yeah, that's really it, surprising it, to me. It is it is a little surprising. Although, you know, in the in the context of things, and by the way, this is also a little counterintuitive because, you know, everybody who's ever you know studied the the academic side of security knows that insider threats are the most significant thing well but 
when you look at the data, the DBIR, it's, I think, I don't remember the exact number, but something like three quarters of the breaches were the result of outsiders. So, Well, and here's where I think things get confused because a lot of times outsiders start by capturing, or not start, but at some point capture credentials of an insider. And so I wonder if these sometimes get blurred together when people are running these metrics and reports and statistics. And Because I got to be honest, in most of my experience, I honestly very, very rarely run into malicious insiders. I know we talk about it a lot. I run into negligent insiders a lot. But not too often do I run into malicious insiders compared to external malicious folks Yeah. in general. Yeah, well. not, not enough to match up with, with the uh, – with the statistics, I'm, I keep reading about at least. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll do a. Uh, we'll do a, a more, more full analysis on the the next show. I'm sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you, you you may be right, and that I, I don't. Well, wanna... I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that's anecdotal, right? That's just my personal experience. That it's not. <laughs> I don't want to speak. Not... At, yeah, I don't want to speak without having read it. But I yeah. I have you know unfortunately yeah. in my career I have seen more than my fair share of that sort of thing. So, um, but yes, it's true. Anyway, um, getting into our actual stories. The first one comes from uh, bankinfosecurity.com and the title is New Jersey Attorney General smacks practice with hefty fine for vendor breach. This one's kind of interesting. It, it is. So there's a, 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 a medical practice called the Virginia, sorry, the Virtua Medical Group or VMG for short. Uh, back in 2016, they had a breach of about 1,600 of uh, the data of about 1,600 patients. But it's a little complicated because the data breach didn't actually derive from them. It derived from a vendor of theirs called, I think it's uh, Best Medical Transcription, which is an ironic name. Also uh, a Georgia-based company. Yes, that's right. And uh, so apparently th this company does, as you one might imagine, a transcription service for, for medical records, which is, I guess is a pretty common thing. At some point, this, uh, this supplier was doing some system maintenance and they, uh, they, they misconfigured their FTP server to also expose uh, what was apparently otherwise FTP uh, accessible files with authentication uh, via the web without authentication, and so there the the um, the records were accessible and <clears throat> and indexed by Google, and uh, and someone apparently found their information in a Google search and called and complained, and that's how the breach was. So a patient of the company found it. A patient so of VMG, straight. yes. So, so, so VMG is the is the provider, the actual healthcare provider. Correct. They outsourced to this transcri transcription company, Best Medical Transcription. This Best Medical Transcription exposed the data on one of their FTP websites. Sorry, <laughs> that's good. At two websites. Wow. Let's try that again. One of their FTP sites. Correct. Uh, for anonymous connection for for Google Index, but the fine went back to the original virtual medical group, not this transcription transcription company. Correct, and I think that has has to do with the way uh, you know that the HIPAA law is written. Um, to be 
to be honest. And I actually think there were a couple of, you know, other, so it's, it's a little unclear, right? Why they got fined? Because if you, if you actually see the fine, the fine was a little bit between 400,000 and 500,000 us dollars. And when you look at that in, in comparison to some other uh, breaches, which were in some cases much larger mentioned in this article, you know, they, those, those other fines were just, you know, on the one hand, they were much more significant in terms of impacted patients, but the fines were just marginally larger. But when you, when you look through the article, it seems to me like the breach itself may not have been the major impetus for the fine, the, the actual impetus for the fine, in my view, and, and again, I'm not a lawyer and don't play one on TV, but it, it sounds to me like when when uh, Health and Human Services went in and did an investigation, they found that VMG uh, hadn't conducted an ac- in I'm quoting here an accurate and thorough risk assessment for the potential risks to PHI, uh, and they failed to implement security measures to reduce those risks, and they failed to implement a workforce security training program, all of those things are actually required under you know, the, the HIPAA regulation. And so it is conceivable that they were fined as much for the non-compliance to the letter of HIPAA as they were to the breach. But, you know, obviously it was the breach that made them the focus. But this, of is, this is a really tough one for me because they're basically saying that you've got to be responsible for your vendor security decisions as well. Yes. And you've got to somehow vet your vendors and do a thorough third-party risk analysis of your vendors. But I, I really feel that those third-party risk analysis are next to useless. They, they, make, they may cover your ass a little bit, but I mean, unless you're there every day you know, doing, doing, you know, perimeter access scans and watching how they admin all their boxes, it's very difficult to be responsible, you know, for their security without having authority. So we don't know all the details, but what what the takeaway for me was, if I really care about this, do I start bringing this stuff in-house so I can control it and avoid the fines? Uh, You know, what is going to be enough for HHS to say, hey, I vetted this third party as well as I could and they still... You know, and here are the results, and the results didn't have any red flags, and yet they still screwed up. Or was this something that, hey, you guys had a breach, so we came and looked through all of your dirty laundry and found all these other things anyway? I, you know, I, I think it was probably the latter, and I'm sure, by the way, that Martin Fisher will, you know, will get on Twitter and tell us where we're where we're wrong here. <laughs> But, well, after he's done screaming at whatever playback device true, he's. True, true, true. Yeah. He's going to have to get a new phone, I'm sure, after this. And for those who don't know, Martin's a great guy, by the way. He is one of the co-hosts of the Southern Fried Security Podcast, which is the second best Atlanta-based uh, InfoSec podcast. He's also a CISO of a major hospital organization here in Atlanta. Yeah. So he knows HIPAA a hell of a lot better than we do and always tells us we get it wrong. Yeah, and, and by the way, also a, a really great guy, too, just all around. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so so moving on, I I, I um, say so. <laughs> I would say that a risk assessment is highly unlikely to have resulted in uh, you know their vendor avoiding that particular what apparently was an error, right? So yeah. Um, now, 
a risk assessment may have exposed that a an error by their vendor could cause the information to be exposed. And so therefore, maybe they should require you know, some other mitigating controls like encryption or, or something like that. But, um, you know, you're, you're, I, I think you're right. You, there's, a, there's a limit on how much we can do because, you know, this is something I have a big problem with vendor management in general. It's, it's, it tends to be a giant kabuki dance. And well, I mean, look at it this way. You're the sales team. You want the deal. Your potential customer comes at you with, um, you know, a whole bunch of questions and requests and uh, things that you've got to answer correctly to get the deal. You know, you're yeah. probably going to stretch the truth a little bit. <laughs> never, I've never seen that happen. Never, never. Anyway, um, it, but but I, I do think it is an interesting uh, an interesting challenge that we have as an industry right now because I you know it and maybe this is just kind of confirmation bias or availability bias type things right but it seems like third party risks are becoming a you know really common common issue and there's a few more that we're going to talk about here uh, later. All right, so uh, so the next story we have is from eweek.com, and the title here is Best Buy Delta Sears Hit by, <laughs> wait for it, third-party chat widget breach. Uh, so this one started off as a, uh, as a breach of, uh, re- reported by Delta first, I, re- I believe, and then Sears later said, oh yeah, me too, and then finally Best Buy came along and and said it impacted them too. And what what appears to have happened is that all these companies used a company called, I don't know how you would say this company's name. It's 247.ai, but there's brackets and other crap in the name. And Look, know. it's it's trendy and hip. You wouldn't understand. You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, so, so anyway, this 24-7 AI hosts a chat system that is used for uh, for support kind of customer support for these you know companies like delta and best buy and sears and apparently in the you know one of the the ways it's used uh, most unfortunately as it turns out is that uh, I, I guess they can process refunds or or you know do ad hoc transactions using credit card information. And now there's not a ton of detail, but there is an allegation that from September 26th through October 12th of 2017, there was, quote, malware affecting uh, 24-7 AI's <laughs> software. So I don't really know exactly what that means yeah i i read it as something doing basically keyboard logging or credential capturing or something that because apparently you can send credit card information and complete purchases over this chat client so the best i can tell it was capturing that sort of personal information and and leaking it out that that matches my 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 expectation and understanding so 
So anyway, this is not the first time this this sort of thing has happened, and I, I I'm quite confident it's not the last. And and it, and it kind of goes back to the previous discussion we were having that you know we're we're as a as a IT society we're kind of parting out little components of our infrastructure more and more, and I think it's becoming harder and harder for us to get our arms around you know the the kind of the security implications and and I would also say that you know certain key components that may be operated by relatively small companies like I've never heard of 24/7 AI I mean maybe there's some behemoth company but I somehow I doubt it you know they they have you know again I'm 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 assuming they're they're smaller but they become kind of a focal point of attack for much larger organizations and you know it's it's um it, you <laughs> Look, yeah, I, if, I, if I know my target is using small vendor X, I may assume small vendor X has less stringent security than my target, and I go after small vendor X as a as an avenue to get into my target. Correct, and I mean we saw that with uh, with Target and Home Depot and, and you know and, and others, but I think this is a little bit different. This is like um, uh, you know that was a. <laughs> That that was uh, the difference between giving someone a fish and then teaching them the fish. I mean, you, know, you, if, you if you're able to to get in in the middle of transactions of these companies on an ongoing basis, like you know, like this threat actor apparently did, uh, you know, that's a that's a you know really valuable place to be. And I would I, you know I would also say that those IT services tend to be pretty competitive, and I would imagine that security is not one of the most sought after features <laughs> i'm thinking uh, not yet yeah yeah <laughs> so but but it kind of goes back to uh, i i've been, i've been trying to think about how if if you are a company like best buy or or delta or sears and and it sounds like there may be others too that we don't we don't know about yet you know how do you protect against this you know how, i mean how, how do you engage with with vendors you know we, we we've made fun over the years about how ineffective vendor management is and and vendor reviews and and you know, i just earlier called it a kabuki dance because i i think it is but i'm really not sure how you gain some level of assurance that you know the the company that's providing your little widget that's on your website is you know, is, is not causing you a big problem that you're going to later, you know, come to, you know, deeply regret. Well, we keep talking about this concept that we're decentralizing and IT infrastructure in general. We're going to cloud providers for everything. We're, we're, and when I say decentralizing, I mean we're decentralizing from our IT monolithic infrastructure and pushing out to all these smaller subject matter expert vendors. Maybe we start looking at this as these sorts of things probably will be inevitable in certain extents and somehow just factor that in as the cost savings for not doing all of our own in-house development. I don't know. It's, it's a really tough problem to solve. I don't have a good answer because I don't think a third party, no matter how big and powerful, could ever really assume that they've got this locked down for one of their vendors. 
you know, and then you're just rolling the dice. But we're not going to get away from using third party vendors. It's not. It's just going to. Yeah. This I yeah. I don't know a good way to mitigate the risk because like you mentioned I don't think third party risk management for all the good intentions does a really good job of of managing this risk today. Right. Right. I mean it it it, it will filter out naive companies for sure. Right. Uh, and some you know some I've seen look at small companies as as being risky. But then again we don't know how the size of this company. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and you know we we also don't know the the nature of the attack. I mean, it it it, it may not have been any fault of uh, of twenty four seven AI. We just we just don't have you know have that level of detail. But um, you know, it, given the given the the scale or the scope of it, it does sound like whatever happened was probably on some infrastructure component, like their you know some kind of uh, chat server or something in their infrastructure but uh, which which kind of tells me by the way that it probably wasn't like a keylogger or <laughs> you know something like that it was I, I, yeah i don't know anyway we again we don't we don't really know but um yeah, anyway I, I i think that this vendor management space is going to become much more challenging as as we continue to federate out all of our you know all of our little apps and crap to to small companies and in in particular when we when we start thinking about them in in really granular chunks and and say well you know this this one chunk doesn't do anything especially risky and you know and i don't know how this particular vendor was was viewed but i could certainly see well you know somebody saying it's just a chat app <laughs> right so Anyway, um, moving on, <laughs> you know, but it's funny cause it would have come within PCI scope most likely. Well, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And I, um, yeah, I'm sure it was hella PCI compliant. Well, you know, nothing, nothing PCI compliance really ever been compromised. Hey, hey, so hey. I know, I know I digress. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to our next story, which also comes from Bank Info Security. And the title here is Panera Bread Leaks, a data leak persisted for eight months. Holy God, this is a roadmap of what not to do. Well, we're not talking about it on this show. We really should cover it. But I think T-Mobile Australia got the roadmap for what not to do. Well, I think they were I think they were kind of like jockeying for for pole position on uh you know on this. So, yeah, you you're right. So so the thing you're talking about, go ahead and explain a little bit about that. So, I don't know all the details, but something had to do with T-Mobile Australia was storing some portion of passwords in plain text that were recoverable. And some folks started to engage in social media uh, account for T-Mobile Australia saying, hey, it's this Austria, is a bad idea. By the way. It's T-Mobile Austria, Austria. Yeah. my bad. Yep. You know, they're very close. I mean, virtually practically, practically next door. Almost the same country. Right. So T-Mobile Australia, thank you very much, <clears throat> uh, social media account rep decided to, uh, I, I guess I guess the term would be uh, text-blain, why the, they were right and the experts were wrong and it went downhill fast. Yeah. And so 
So the takeaway was don't get into a technical debate about anything InfoSec on the Twitters. I guess that pretty much a technical debate in general on the Twitters. So tell your social media folks to just nod and smile and say, thank you. We'll look into it. Correct. That is the best <laughs> advice <laughs> that you could so, offer. Right. Uh, because now we have the Streisand effect of, of calling attention to this whole thing. And, and anyway, um, it's an aside, but I'm just saying this was that, that, that one caught me as particularly absurd last week. Yeah. I think the, I think the, the, the operator of the account basically there was a, there was a back and forth that was very well publicized in uh, lots of different uh, media. And the, the, the person was saying, Hey, look, you know, you're, you're clearly storing, passwords unencrypted and you know, the t-mobile rep said well i don't you know I, i'm paraphrasing well i don't really see what the problem with that is and the response was well you know this is 2018 you know you may you may be aware that this is a commonly abused technique and then the t-mobile account a social media account person said yeah but what if you have amazingly good security and and that was, I think it was yeah, well, that particular comment. What if you did? Really? <laughs> that I, would be nice. I think it was that particular comment. And then there was another, I think a follow-up comment, uh, you know, about, hey, you know, do you know anything about carrier-grade security? Which I, I was thinking, you know, military-grade security. When right. This, this is Oracle's famous, our databases can never be hacked. Correct. Don't look behind um, the curtain. You know, and on Twitter, the problem is, uh, if that person doesn't, they probably know who someone who does. Yes. Because this circulated around the InfoSec community in about a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and the torches were out, the pitchforks were out, the mob started marching. I made some popcorn because I'm. <laughs> it I was, don't march anymore. It was entertaining, uh, but uh, now to give one line of defense to T-Mobile, they try to be edgy in their marketing. Their their CEO does all the sorts of stuff who's edgy and different. So this could be kind of, you know, them trying to extend their brand image, but well, you know what? There's, there is a school of thought that says, you know, any advertising is good advertising and they just got us to talk about them on the, we got, they got us to say their name on our podcast. So I guess for all three people listening. Yeah, I guess that's something. So anyway, moving on. Yeah. Anyhow, don't, don't do that. Right. You know, if you, if, if you're a, you know, if you're a, a company who has a social media account like that, you know, make sure they understand the risks of engaging in, in battle like that. So anyway, here's the story. Panera Bread, um, the, the, this, there's a researcher named Dylan Houlihan. Uh, apparently sometime in 2017, I think last August, Send an email to Panera Bread's security, uh, I think director of security, alerting uh, Panera Bread that they are leaking data. They have a they have an exposed API that is leaking, uh, you know, effectively their their frequent shopper uh, database, on, on, online order database. On, oh, is it the online order? Yeah. Well, I, I think it was yeah. l- later. So, someone so, said that if they if you, you know anything you any interaction you had with them was probably available interesting okay i i got the impression this was the kind of order ahead pickup sort of information but who yeah. knows maybe they threw some more stuff in that same database that was behind that open api yeah yeah so um 
so this this uh Dylan Houlihan sent an email saying hey uh and and, and so for context there's a little bit of context here that I think mitigates a little bit and 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 so anyway the you know kind of the story was or the story is and the emails are available the the email exchange is available here in the in the actual story because uh, Dylan provided them uh you know Dylan sent an email to this person saying hey uh you know you're you have this problem I'd like to talk with you um by the way if you like I can provide you some you know a, a copy of some of the data that I can see uh send me a PGP key and I'll encrypt it and that was not well received by the person at Panera Bread and you know, the, the, this person at Panera Bread in, you know, saw that, that Dylan Houlihan works for a, a security consultancy and I guess, you know, made the assumption that this was, uh, I guess, like a shakedown. I don't know. Uh, or, or a sales t- I mean, yeah. reading his email. So let's just quote it just so we don't get this wrong. Uh, this, so this is coming from the Panera Bread guy, uh, Mike Gustavison. I apologize if I pronounced that wrong. Dylan, my team received your emails, however, it was very suspicious and appeared scam in nature, therefore was ignored. If this is a sales tactic, I would highly recommend a better approach, as demanding a PGP key would not be a good way to start off. So I, I kind of get where he's coming from here because Agreed. I've gotten a ton of these emails. Agreed. Yep. You know, and, and in the early days of the internet, there was a whole bunch of, oh my God, I scanned your website and found these vulnerabilities. Pay me and I'll tell you what they are. Right. Right. Um, and then he continues, as a security professional, you should be aware that any organization that has a security practice would never respond to requests like the one you sent. Well, there he starts to lose me. Yeah. I yep. think anytime somebody comes at you with some, exp- you know, some information about a potential vulnerability, you probably at least need to do a cursory look over what the story is, just in case. And he continues, I am willing to discuss whatever vulnerabilities you believe you have found, but I will not be duped, demanded for restitution bounty, or listen to a sales pitch. I get his frustration. We, our industry has a lot of folks who do crap like that. Mm-hmm. So I think I think people in this article have focused on the, the lost little context, not about the PGP key. I think it's a, you know, if this is a sales pitch, I, I, I'm not I'm not fond of your approach. Is the way I read that email. I agree with that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but, but that's not really the story. Yeah, but uh, right, and it, well, I think it, it's it's part of the story, and you know, it's been it's been f- since quoted that apparently this Mike uh, Gustav, I don't, I'm 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 going to butcher his name, so I'm not going to say it. Uh, it. Used to work at Equifax, and you know, it kind of implying that you know, my gosh, but you know that it's it's awful everywhere he goes. But I I you know. I'm not particularly bothered by that email. What bothers me is that apparently they didn't do anything about the report for for eight months, and they they actually right. didn't do anything until uh, until this uh, Dylan actually wrote a, uh, a a post on Pastebin and also involved Brian Krebs. Well, Brian Krebs is one of the best IDS alarms you can have. That, that's very true, and and so it wasn't until until that happened that things started to shake loose, and that was just 
this past week. And, uh, and, and uh, Panera Bread re- responded back, and I think at the, the, they both responded back to Brian Krebs and to, uh, as I understand it, they went on Fox News. Somebody from their company went on Fox News and claimed that, yes, it was uh, they had a breach, but it was fewer than 10,000 customers that were affected, and it included no you know, credit card information and that sort of thing. Uh, but apparently... Uh, that's not, I guess, true, right? So, so Brian, in his, in, he also wrote up a report on this on his website, indicated that at least some of the records that he saw, some of the, the sample that were provided by Dylan, had record numbers in the 7 million you know, range. which with, with the assumption that records are sequential. Yeah, and apparently they were sequential, but we don't know mm. that they go back to zero. That's the... True, but we also don't know how high they go up to either, and and apparently that this API was accessible via the internet, and really all you had to do was increment the um, uh, you know the, the the customer number, and you you know you could kind of scan through and and get back all the data. In Basically, the in, in the URL, right? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's that yeah. simple. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a little more complicated, um, you know, but it's effectively the same. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's unauthenticated open API. Correct. It's just a matter of knowing the parameter. Correct. And so, uh, so <laughs> this this is just a, a great example of how not to do uh, breach response. So, you know, they they responded back saying, you know, we okay, we acknowledged the problem. It was only ten thousand people, and we fixed the problem. <laughs> and then Brian went back to them and you know said, hey. Um, you, you you may you may want to look again because you have all these other websites that also have that same API exposed. So they only fixed it on apparently the one specific site that Dylan reported, and Ouch. and effectively it was I guess the the same the same kind of infrastructure was uh, you know was exposed on all of the different uh, subdomains. They they had exposed, which apparently there were were numerous. So, abstracting that out a bit, I mean, before they even knew about the issue, we don't know a ton. But how would the average company spot sort of open APIs like this and and, and protect themselves from being found out in this situation? I mean, do web application scanners find this kind of stuff? Do vulnerability scanners find this kind of stuff? I mean, is this just a matter of good coding practices? Yes, to all the above. So, so one thing, yeah. I've become a a relatively big proponent of, and now I don't know all the technical details of how they do this, but one thing I've become a big proponent of is scanning your external IP space, looking for things that are exposed that shouldn't be exposed, and you know, and, and using that as a you know as a as an alarm because what apparently happened here is that the that this was a component of their web infrastructure that was not supposed to be accessible mm-hmm. from the internet right? right so it was it was intended for one component of their their web infrastructure to make api calls against another component and 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 that you know the data was fulfilled through that api and all will be great if that firewall were properly configured or the API were 
authenticated, but you know, who likes authentication, right? That's just it, it crazy. certainly gets in the way it gets in of the way. agile. So do firewalls. So do firewalls stuff. though. Got deadlines to make. Come on, let's go. So do firewalls. Uh, so so um, yeah, I mean I, I again I I I don't know anything Look, about see, their infrastructure, but I think this is here's, systematic here's of cloud. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say it right there. Uh, here's the problem. So I, I appreciate what you're saying that you know to scan for things that change, but this has been apparently open for at least eight months, so it, it didn't change. It, the baseline I, scan was there in the baseline. Uh, hey, we're you, good. You're that that I can't argue with that logic. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot cannot argue with that. Oh, this is uh, ugly. Yeah. Just, all, all I'm saying is that that I've I've. And I like Panera Bread. Oh, I do too. They have great food. It hurts my soul just a little. They have great food. Yeah. Um, and and I have been there two or three times since this. So let me take that for what it is. But um, I, I think, well, at least in my career, I've seen a lot of, and I've responded to a lot of uh, uh, breaches over the years by things that were exposed to the internet which were not intended to be exposed to the internet this is a very much like pictures of your mom oh boy yeah this is in this is a very common problem yeah i concur it is very common and there has i mean spin up a cloud scanner scan the primitive infrastructure make sure all that stuff's supposed to be open yeah yeah, I mean, especially when you're, you know, it's it's one thing if you're twenty four seven AI, which I, <laughs> I'm going to pick on them, you know, who who may be very very small, right? But you know, if you're a large company with millions and millions of users' data like that, you know, it's, you should have sound you should have sound practices. I, you know, again, I don't know the details, but I have I have seen evidence that. You know some of the some of the you know the move to cloud and whatnot results in bad hygiene. And I I don't think cloud itself is bad. I think cloud enables bad behavior. But if we properly educated our staff on moving to the cloud, I think it could do the opposite. Absolutely. I think we're squandering this opportunity. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I think, yeah, I think I think we have a we have a great opportunity, and we're. You know, but again, I, 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 you know, I don't know that they are in cloud. They probably are, but um, anyway, it's uh, point is, I've seen in my in my experience a high correlation of things improperly exposed to the internet and stuff operating on the cloud. And the reason is it's super easy to do, and typically this, you know, you, you don't have different people managing firewalls and networks than you do have, you know, managing the servers and. Right in applications, so um, I, you know, anyway, I, I think it is a this is a this this is a learning opportunity. I think for you know for people S- spoken like a dad. <laughs> That's right. You know, look look for look for stuff that shouldn't be exposed. There's a lots of services out there that can do this. I mean, you, you know, everything from Shodan uh, down to, you know, companies like BitSight and, and others can do stuff like this. You know, you, you could do it, uh, you can do it yourself with a, 
with a, a you know probably a free uh you know um Nessus scanner? Yeah, well, if, uh, I was going to say a free Nessus scanner up in uh, in a, in a free tier Amazon cloud, right? Just for irony. What are you hippie now? For irony's sake. All your free stuff. Yeah, well, I'm just pointing out this doesn't have to be a huge investment. Right? <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, uh, a very very quick Google search answered the question that you apparently were too lazy to answer. Twenty four seven AI has been around for 18 years and has 12,000 employees. Well, there you go. That's so, pretty that's pretty substantial. They they are a uh, basically a customer service customer experience software and services company headquartered in San Jose, California. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty substantial and you know um I mean, you know, so so I I guess that kind of goes goes to show like, you know, it isn't a small company. It's a larger established company. And so that, you know, what do you do, <laughs> right? How do you, how do you make sure that your, you know, your, your well-established larger service provider is, um, you know, it's, is acting securely. So anyway, um, lesson here, number one, when, when Brian Krebs, and I, I'm going to kind of go in reverse order, right? When Brian Krebs, you know, contacts you make sure you got your crap in order before you respond because you know i think it's becoming more and more the case that the you know the masses accept that companies are going to get breached but they are not accepting that companies respond badly yeah i would concur and and so so then you know be you know moving backwards in time if somebody tells you that your data is accessible from the internet it's fine if you don't like the way they engaged you, I agree. That's fine, right? But you should probably do something to check <laughs> if it, you know, if it's a real problem, and then go fix it. Because because you're gonna look real dumb later if you don't. Because you're gonna look dumb later if you don't. And then you know, kind of going backwards from that, you know, make sure that the stuff that's exposed to the internet is, you know, it, that that it's properly exposed. And I, you know. I can't help but think that this is, you know, God, like my talk, right? We have, I think we've got, I think we've got a, um, I think we've got a skills problem in IT. You seem upset, upset, Jerry. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm very frustrated. All right. Well, take your nitroglycerin pill. It'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, Matlock's on in a little bit. I'll be, I'll be fine. So, all right, moving on to our last story. The title here actually this comes from uh, the Baltimore Sun. And the title here is Hack of Baltimore's 911 Dispatch System Was Ransomware Attack, City Officials Say. And, you know, let's just say right up front Atlanta, our major metropolis we live near, was paralyzed for nearly a week due to a ransomware attack. So. You know, yeah, this, this company was, uh, or this that company, the city was apparently paralyzed for about 12 hours. <laughs> so slightly different scales. Uh, I, I would say there's, there's not a ton of uniqueness to this attack. I mean, it's obviously bad. And I think we talked about this either last week or the week before. There were, there was a little bit of information out about it, but not a lot at the time. Um, this this 
attack apparently resulted in their computer-aided dispatch for their police force uh, being taken offline. I think at the time, it it appeared like it was the, you know, that the system got infected by ransomware, and that was why it was offline. But in this article, they point out that no, that's not what happened. It was taken offline as a proactive, preventive measure. But unlike a lot of these things, they actually said what happened here, which is really indeed is, is really cool. Um, and I and I I, you know, I want to give everybody involved kudos for being transparent, right? Uh, and what happened was that during some some episode where they were where the IT team was debugging they opened <laughs> they opened the firewall port um, well sometimes you just got to get the firewall out of the way that's right and uh, and I, I I can only assume by the way that the port they opened was RDP um, because well that's a that's a pretty pretty common issue but you know we don't I'm, I'm that's complete complete speculation i don't know why you would open up any other port like it wouldn't make sense for you to open up net bios uh, you don't know you don't know you weren't there <laughs> it's fair i don't know you're right you're right but there could, um, there could be lots of reasons yeah but they could open up ssh they could they could open up something that had a default password on it you don't know. Well, I, I I think it was RDP with a default password or a weak yeah, password. Sure. So yeah. so they said that you know they 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 say that it was the result of a you know of a, of a firewall port that was opened and left open for 24 hours, and uh, they they speculate that the attack was the result of you know quote automated scanners uh, identifying. And which by the way is true, right? I mean, they look, if you put some, anybody who's had an experience recently with standing up a system on the internet, if you stand something up on the internet and you expose a port, like you get, you start getting probed almost immediately. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So, um, and, and it's, you know, they're, they're not everything is, uh, is a sophisticated nation state attack. Right. So, uh, anyway, they, uh, Whatever whatever means, I'm 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 speculating that it was RDP weak password default password or maybe no password, and uh, and and they you know the attackers shoved some kind of uh, ransomware onto the system, which is so probably an automated scan, automated attack kind of thing. I think I suspect it probably was almost yeah. certainly completely automated. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Um, I forget what I was going to say, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure it was very important. Probably not. So, um, anyway, they, 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 uh, this, this, uh, the, the city of Baltimore apparently engages with a third party company called TriTech and TriTech realized what was going on. And, you know, they, they shut down the server as a, as a proactive measure. And I think it was about 12 hours later, if I, if I remember the timeline right, uh, it was they were back in business, and um, you know, and and here we are talking about it. So, and, you know, and we don't know if they paid the ransom or not. We do not know if they paid the ransom. That's uh, true. the way that the way the article reads. It seems like they probably restored from backup, but we honestly don't know. It's left open to interpretation. Yeah. Well, and it, so they said. It, they said no personal data of the citizen of the city residents were comp was compromised, and in in recent times, that's not been 
you know, if if ransomware, if, if there is a ransomware attack that affects data, right? Not, you know, if there's a ransomware attack that affects data. That's typically not been the message delivered, right? Because we right. we we now consider a ransomware attack a breach. Uh, yeah, but not everybody is forced to use the same lexicon. Uh, well, I agree. Especially when we got media in the mix here. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair. Any anyhow, we don't. Those are details we don't we don't right. really know. But anyhow, it you know it does. It, I what I I guess the point is you know a. They seem to have I, again don't really know, but they seem to have a, a fairly well working plan to mitigate and respond to right. and and get things back up and running. So kudos to them. You know, even if that result. But it, what's in, what's interesting to me is how one little mistake caused this. Exactly. Right. And and so, and I'm assuming there probably was an assumption that whatever device was exposed to the internet never should have been exposed to begin with. So there was less protections and controls built around that device because it's internal only, quote unquote. Exactly. And this shows you never quite know when something might suddenly become exposed and you know, maybe you shouldn't ever consider anything internal only and try to harden everything equally. Yeah, and, and and to be to be honest, that is one of the things I really like about the whole zero trust model, you know, not having it, you know, effectively not having any firewall, right? It every you you cannot it, it forces you to make the assumption that no part of your network is safe. You know, because because <laughs> Cause, no, cause because none true. of it is <laughs> right, and, and 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 whereas I think that in a lot of cases, what you said is exactly true, and it kind of goes back to the the earlier story about Panera Bread. You know, when when you when you start making assumptions that oh well, we don't have to secure this thing because it's behind the firewall, and that's okay. Well, that works until it's not behind the firewall. And, and the bad guys are really good at getting around firewalls these days. And in this case, just going through it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I, I, if I look at my crystal ball, I, 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 I do think that, um, you know, well, I'm not going to say that, right? Because we've been saying the perimeter's dead for the last right. 25 years. So. Well, I, 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 yeah, I think it's a good mindset to assume that the bad guys will get past your perimeter. How about that? Yes, yes, and 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 act accordingly, right? So, anyway, uh, that is all of the stories. Anything else that you wanted to cover? Uh, no, no, I think we did good. I think we'll try to do Verizon Data Breach stuff next week. Yes, indeed. I got some reading to do. A hundred and what's, or I don't remember how many pages it was. It's a lot of it's I'll, a lot of reading. I'll wait for the, I'll wait for the movie version. <laughs> the Cliff's notes. All right. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. You can find links to all the show the stories we talked about on tonight's show on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can find the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can find Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg, and you can find me on Twitter at MaliciousLincoln. With that, we will talk again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.